Welcome back to another episode of My Boyfriend's Record Collection. My name's Amanda. I'm Jason. And this is a podcast. We talk about relationships, music, and our relationship with music. Each and every week, we pick a random album from My Boyfriend's Record Collection and discuss the album, the vinyl, the critical reception, and how it makes us feel. What album are we talking about today, Jason? Today, we are uh, discussing our first uh, classic rock album, yeah. Led Zeppelin Four and by, like, by uh, Prince. By Prince, yes. yes. Uh, le- what a legend! <laughs> you know, he started Led Zeppelin in yeah, like so the '60s when he was, you know, a, like a toddler. No, I, 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 <laughs> I like the idea that like because there's a really famous story where um, uh, Young Thug, one of his like most popular early mixtapes was called barter six right and it was because people were getting really really annoyed with lil wayne not releasing the carter four so so young thug was like i'm just skipping straight to six you know what (laughs) he stole the name of the album i I like the cut of the jib there as they say i hope that's not i don't actually know what that phrase means i hope that's not like secretly problematic i'll look it up later i'm sure it's fine (laughs) but before we get into the album let's check in with my boyfriend's news corner what's what's going on oh man so much so much is going on do Um, we have some uh fresh ronnie radke slatter or (laughs) slatter slander we are fresh (laughs) ronnie radke slaughter oh god um yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I was going to talk about the, the Chop Suey, a little Uzi Vert cover, oh, yeah. but I think I'm going to skip that because I also want to talk about this Sneeko thing, and it's probably going to take a little while. Sneeko? Yeah, we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but let's uh, let's let's start the show off by, uh, you know, just making, real quick, making fun of Ronnie Radke. Absolutely. If you don't, if you don't know, this is old news by now. This came out uh, on June 26th, but uh, Ronnie, uh, falling in reverse, uh, under the name falling in reverse, decided to record a cover of Last Resort by Papa Roach. Oh God, I haven't listened to it yet specifically because I wanted to live react on the show. Mm. I'm not ready, but I'm ready. I don't have the whole song pulled up because it's not worth it. I just pulled up... uh, (laughs) I just, I just bookmarked where Falling in Reverse t- tweeted uh-huh. like the, the 30 second clip. Anyway, let's do this. Cut my life into pieces. Embrace my last resort, suffocation, no breathing. Don't give a fuck if I cut my arm bleeding. Do you even care if I die bleeding? Would it be wrong or it be right if I took my life tonight? Oh my god. The video really makes. He looks like Chris Angel with like some painful extensions. Like no shade to whoever actually did the hair on this. It's not your fault that he's a greasy rat of a man. Yeah, so that (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I love the the sweeping drone shots of him. He's like trying so hard to make this admittedly like i understand that it's a song about suicide and everything but last resort is a goofy ass song it is like you can't you can't convince me that like you know would it be wrong would it be right if i took my life tonight chances are that i might like you can't sing that in like i don't know it's almost it's, like it's, it's so silly it was 
ahead of its time because it reminds me now of like the absurdist Gen Z humor, you know, because, you know, I have a lot of young clients. I have a lot of teenagers and they'll just say off the wall shit like, yeah. you know, like, oh, I guess I better go feed myself to a megalodon. Yeah. And like, Last Resort kind of feels like that. Like it's so dramatic and like blown out of proportion right. that it is goofy. It becomes hyperbole. And no one told Ronnie Radke, which is good. No one should tell him anything. Yeah. That way I can keep no. laughing at him. I mean, I, I feel like it's obviously like, I think Ronnie Radke is at this point in his career where he's doing stuff like because he knows that people are gonna like make memes about it and yeah, shit yeah. like i think it's bait he like i he, think this cover is bait he knows he's a lol cow yeah he is too online and like dear listener if you don't know what a lol cow is it's a part of um internet history um gets into some kiwi farm stuff that we don't super need to go into but a lol cow is a figure on the internet that just keeps digging in deeper. Yeah. You know, I think the most infamous one is Chris Chan, who, again, we yeah. don't need to get into. No, no, no. Yeah, I didn't want to spend but a no, lot of time. But no, I think that's where Rodney Radke is now. Yeah, You know, I, I think, think you're so. right. I think he's, like, feeding into the content cycle. And, like, there is a demographic of, like, former or current emo women in their 30s and 40s that are still lapping this shit up like oh, a starving yeah. kitten. You know? Yeah. And, like, no shit. If it brings you joy, family... Just try to do it in a way that avoids giving him money. Yeah. If you can. Stream please, it on Spotify. Yeah, please pirate uh, Falling in Reverse albums. Steal this music. Yes. Um, but I wanted to talk about... I just saw this uh, come up on my timeline like today because people are dunking on it. But it's going to require a little bit of background here. Mm-hmm. So this is a clip from a podcast from the No Jumper podcast hosted by Adam22 uh, featuring Sneeko. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, Adam 22 and no jumper is a podcast that is primarily about, uh, hip hop. Gotcha. It's mostly a podcast where rappers go on there and get interviewed by Adam 22. Uh, I should mention Adam 22 is a white guy with a bunch of like face tattoos and shit. He's, uh, one of the, one of these dudes. Um, and he also, <laughs> he also has a lot of credible, uh, pedophile accusations about him. Adam 22 sucks ass. And he also like. He's a clout demon, yeah. is, is what he is. Like, yeah. he, his whole, like, business model is essentially, like, he masquerades as if he's, um, like, part of black culture and, like, participating in it. But what he's really doing is exploiting it. So because he's, he's the guy from Blind Spotting. Yeah, kind of. Like, uh, but, like, not redeemable in any way. Right. What he does is, like, he, he facilitates, he, like, tries to get rappers, like, start beefs with each other. Um, he, uh, uh, I don't want to say like encourages, but he like spotlights. Uh, he he was a big part of the wave of like rappers who were just completely zanned out of their minds constantly. Oh yeah, like he would constantly have on these SoundCloud rappers that were just like high as shit, and then the clips would go viral. Right. He's where um. I think it was I think it was Boot Gang. You remember Boot yeah, Gang? Yeah, so there's like an so, extra layer of exploitation to this of like yeah. he's giving younger people drugs to get viral moments. I don't know if he's giving them drugs, but he's he's capitalizing on he or at least he was cuz it isn't really that much of a thing these days, but he was capitalizing on the fact that this was a trend. Gotcha. You gotcha. know what I mean? And and yeah. he was using that for content. But anyway, and, um, but, so notorious internet scumbag. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if you remember Boot Gang, he was the guy who initially got really popular 
like making vines of him just like stealing shit. Yeah. And then yeah. and then he became a rapper. Uh and then there's this really, really famous clip uh of him on No Jumper where he like passes out basically. Yeah. He like tries he like tries to get up to leave the interview and he just like collapses. Oof. Um and that's that's credited as like his boot gang is like clean now. I don't remember what his actual name is, so I'm gonna keep calling him boot gang. Right, right. But he he doesn't go by that anymore. Good for him. But, he's um, like he, changed his life. Yeah, he's like clean now. I think he does like Christian rap now. It's you like, know what? Fine, I'll allow it. Fine, whatever. That's fine. I hope he's, you found your joy. For yeah, him. he's as far as I know, he's not doing it in the weird like Forgiato blow or whatever that other guy's name is. No, he's probably is. sincere. He probably yeah. found Jesus when he got clean, and you know, right. The story writes itself from right. there. But anyway. So that that's the Adam Twenty Two background. Sneeko is a whole other can of worms. Sneeko is a or was a Twitch streamer. I think he's on Kick now. Um, and uh, he was one of the like Andrew Tate clones. Yeah, that kind of pot. Like he started out. He he's had a long, long like internet career he started out as kind of like a call of duty i think streamer he, he was like um, i always like lumped him in with like rice gum and stuff right on and then and then he did a thing that i've never watched but a lot of people have said is like actually fairly decent content fairly good it was um he did basically man on a street interviews and he called it like the one minute podcast or something oh, cool. and yeah. it's like eh, it's, it's a yeah. cool a cool idea i guess but he like he basically saw the money in going down this like red pilled Andrew Tate rabbit hole, and he's one of the ones that got like he like went real extreme with it. Yeah, he's he's the guy who had Nick Fuentes on his streams. Um, I he, believe he's a fresh and fit regular as well. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah he's one of these, Ugh. and he's also just much like Aiden Ross, who like Aiden Ross and Sneeko are kind of like two halves of the same coin here, mm-hmm. and um. Like, they're both dumb as shit. Uh, and, yeah. So, Sneeko went on the No Jumper podcast, and they're talking about, like, uh, degeneracy, specifically in black culture. Oh, God. Um, oh, and wow. so, I'm going to play uh, this clip. I should say, Sneeko is mixed. Uh, he's biracial. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's biracial, talking to uh, the whitest, the whitest, trashiest dude you've ever seen. Cool. So here, here's Sneeko on the No Jumper podcast. And I said black culture promotes degeneracy. That's something that everybody knows. And if you listen to any rap music, like Dirk, I listen to Lil Dirk all the time. He's rapping about murder all the time. He knows that that will sell more music. He knows that rap beef and like, I'm going to kill you. You're going to kill me. But you're 29 with kids. Still talking about like killing other people and you're going to risk your life over music. Like everything that hip hop promotes besides yay and besides a few like, you know, Christian rap or stuff like that. It's all just drugs, murder bitches when a black person becomes more affluent when they put on a suit when they get a good job when they speak correctly you're speaking white you're why you talking like a white boy i'm just speaking english properly when they talk about keeping black culture black in those affluent areas they mean they want a doctor who's also sagging they want a, a doctor who's still banging and throwing up signs i agree that there's a lot of stuff within hip hop culture that is kind of negative for sure all of it (laughs) all of it like i just what killed so like i'm not even super crazy deep into the rap scene but i listen to a lot of rap and i'm just like how can you listen to like any amount of rap unless you're listening to like the same three artists which yeah there are guys out there that focus on right you know like i mean what were we talking about yesterday griselda yeah you know the griselda collector you know they rap about some violent shit it's not but they're they're also like actual gang members yeah so like yeah it's like 
it's not. Gr- I wish they. But, but I wish it, them it's, out of that lifestyle. You it's, know? it's 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 not. <laughs> but it's not like like art is reflective of like culture reflects reality. Exactly. You know what I mean? And and you know like when you listen to something like Griselda, you're it, it's you know it's telling their stories and like it's not always. It's not depicted in like a positive, especially Griselda. Like mm-hmm. Griselda, like there, it's not depicted in like a positive way. No, no, they're you know? like our lives fucking suck, man. Like Griselda is hella depressing. But also, <laughs> but also, like there's a lot of like racism in conflating hip hop culture yeah. with black culture. There's and also if you're lumping all of quote-unquote hip-hop culture under this like big umbrella like this that yeah. you're also showing that you don't understand uh hip-hop culture at all because it's like like black culture like especially with music it goes so much deeper than just it's like all music basically yeah. like anything that uses a guitar a piano or a drum like it like st- uh, uh has roots in black culture exactly you know it's such like, a silly yeah, guitar is an african instrument first right right and like banjo like literally country music is built upon the foundations of like items and instruments from black culture and it's insane that people don't see it and this kind of shit makes me extremely angry like first right. and foremost like as a person but also especially like our niece is biracial yeah and one of the things i've been tra- trying to be very mindful of is i have a lot of like biracial clients and sometimes like pretty much all of them have the story of the white auntie that talks like Sneeko was talking in that video. Yeah. And I want to do my best to make sure that never happens to our baby girl. Right. Like, and, no you know, one's going to talk to her like that in front of me. Absolutely fuck not. It, it, it's so reductive and it's so like... Uh, it's sad. Yeah. It makes me sad for him a little bit. Like, he's definitely just grifting, but like... Right. Part of me... That's like one of the most sincere videos I've seen him do. And I think it's a little bit of self-loathing. There. Right. Because he, he's the one that's trying to get these people in fights. Right. Why is he, like, clutching his pearls here? Right. And, and, and he the, built his career online about starting beef between rappers that could escalate. Right. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? I know. He And then, and then like, it's all to get, you know, the top comment on this, like, post. You know, of course, is a white dude. This is like, and who decided which hip-hop artist gets disseminated to the public? Who owns the record labels? Who owned MTV? And it's like, oh man, <laughs> like when pe- whenever pe- this is the type of shit that I would say when I was like fifteen and didn't like truly, like the the record label industry is so much more like layered and deeper than that. They're not yeah. like they're they're chasing money. They're not driving culture. No, they're not. Like like they're they're figuring out what is already popular and serving that to you. Exactly, like, and people think, they tend to think it's, like, just one guy at the top, like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. a Mr. Burns-style figure that decides, like, oh, well, I want more violence in the culture, more metal and more gangster rap, you know, that's not what it, that's not how it fucking is. It's also so funny to, like, to, like, go on, to, like, still be talking about record labels and MTV, because, like, record labels and MTV have never been less relevant. Right, and it's a good thing for yeah. artists. Like, there yeah. are hundreds of artists I listen to regularly that if they had not self-published their music, like, on YouTube or on, even on TikTok with some of my newer ones. Right. Um, that girl, Serana, that does the Numa Numa cover, yeah. she is actually Moldovan. So right. she's, she's actually from the country that the original Numa Numa song is from. I wouldn't have found her if it wasn't for TikTok. Like, it's like, they've never been less necessary record labels and, like, um, like 
people that decide what gets pressed doesn't right. matter as much anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's very silly, and it's also like, man, like these two, like these are two of the biggest fucking degenerates in right? the in the world, and you can't. And you're sitting here like acting <coughs> like you have some kind of moral superiority. Yeah, like, like like genuinely, bro. If you cared that much about like degenerous degeneracy and living a pure life you wouldn't be on twitch nope you wouldn't be doing fucking podcasts you wouldn't have tattoos all over your face yeah go live in the woods and chop wood and go live with varg with your bitch ass yeah right and that's why like all of this shit is it's just a grift like It 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 is just driving hate for profit yeah, you know, like, like he's doing the thing that he's like the top yeah. comment is accusing the record label of doing, but it's like yeah. no, but you provably are doing that, right? Fucking Adam Twenty Two, uh, his wife does porn. Like, you know what I mean? And it's it's and like there's nothing wrong with that. We no, support no support sex work in this house. No, but if Sneeko cares that much about degeneracy and culture, yeah. then why is he talking to like the husband of a porn star? Exactly. You know, like it's like it's so transparent. That it's just like trying to manipulate like hate for clicks. Like, yeah, Sneeko is I don't know, like I don't know if he if he if he's like smart enough to be that maniacal about it. I think but, he probably is. You know. I think Andrew Tate is also that way. Like I don't think these people are stupid. I think they know exactly what they're doing and right. what kind of audience they've cultivated. Yeah. You know, and it's angry young men that want to feel superior to anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that's uh That's so that, sad. That, that's that's Sneeko, that's Sneeko and Adam 22. This you know, new villain of the show just yeah. dropped Sneeko along with Varg and uh, that other guy. The, the, this is what we do in here. We we make a, a whole episode about like one of the most recognizable classic rock albums yeah. ever made yeah. so that we can um, disseminate like bullshit internet culture to boomers who mistakenly click on this. <laughs> you know, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, we're we're we're, te- we're teaching them about uh, the type the type of shit that's going on on the internet and like if you if you you know what if you want to know why like all your grandparents or all your grandparents all your grandkids like brains are fried yeah. it's because this is the fucking shit they're looking at yeah yep. <laughs> they're they're watching Sneeko and yeah. and uh, Aiden Ross I just gotta say like I know there's at least a couple of our listeners that are friends of ours that have like kids that are just getting on social media and I just want to say. Holy shit, I do not envy you right now. Do your yeah. best. You're amazing. You can do this. Yeah, we need to <laughs> monitor their brain rot. Please. Yeah, we, we need we need to impose um uh age restrictions. Yeah. On, like the, <laughs> on the iPhone media. can do like facial recognition. It should just turn off if right. it's being held by someone under the age yeah. of like fifteen. Because like <laughs> not only is it dangerous for their little minds to be because mm-hmm. like I'm not a phone bad type of dude. I obviously spend all of my fucking time on Twitter. Right. But like I, I do agree that, like, it is incredibly damaging for kids yeah. to be on these well, sites. Because frontal cortex isn't um, hardened yet. Like, all these, like, horrible ideas and these racist right. things can get, like, implanted into yeah. their psyche as it's still developing. And that's very dangerous. And, but, like, so, like, there's that aspect of it. But also, I want uh, these age restrictions because I don't want to be in danger of having to see the opinion of a 13-year-old. Oh. God, so that is um, <laughs> kind of in the girlfriend's news corner. Um, I have yeah. a small child army following my caterpillar content on TikTok, 
And uh, something weird happens when you realize that, like, your content's being consumed by 11-year-olds. And this is how I know I'm a good person, because I hard pivoted away from, like, the whole Colleen Ballinger strategy. Oh, my God. And I try to communicate with them directly as little as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, please don't talk to me. Oh, yeah. I I could have talked about the Colleen Ballinger apology, but We don't need to. Just type it in. Everyone's already talking about it. Yeah, it does not matter. She's gross. There are... 9,000 YouTube videos you can go watch about that. But it's yeah. really it's really funny, and I recommend you watch at least one of them. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, the great thing about the internet is you don't have to reply to everybody. Yeah. There are a lot of comments that I just let sit there. Like, oh, unless yeah. Unless it's about, like, conservation specifically, you know. Like, well, what can I do to protect the fireflies in my yard? And it's like, well, uh, that's a great question, Jimmy. Stop raking. Bully your parents and stop yeah. raking. Yeah. Convince them. Do, do less yard work. <laughs> do less yard work. It's good for the pollinators. Yes, anyway, it's good for the pollinators. Let's get back to Led Zeppelin yeah, number four. Yeah, let's talk about some Zepp. What are our genre tags on this album? <laughs> um, I'm going to say... Oh, there's also no... Oh, that's interesting. I got... Oh, wait, no. Hard rock, heavy metal. Oh. Which, uh... You know, for the time, yes. Yeah, debatable. This is 1971. Yes. Okay, so this album was released uh, November 8th, 1971 Mm -hmm. on Atlantic Records. It was produced by Jimmy Page. And uh, Led Zeppelin is, if you don't already know... Uh, I'm only scrolling down because I can never remember the name of the bass player. Right. But it's uh, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, um, uh, John Bonham, and... uh, the fuck is his name <laughs> something jones it's like the fourth the, beetle yeah this is the longest wikipedia article i've ever seen for an album you know what john paul jones that's john paul jones yes oh my god i'm, I'm gonna i'm looking at the wikipedia article right now and uh i'm gonna say this is a case of too many cooks well there's so much information on here well it's because look this is uh, one of the most well-known, most recognizable yeah. classic rock albums ever. Definitely. Um, this is d- by far the most famous album we will be doing on this podcast, Definitely. I think. I didn't realize um, it'll come up again as we go through like the track list, but like how baked into every aspect of american culture this album has become primarily Mm -hmm. like advertising like there's certain vocal hooks there's certain riffs that i'm like oh my god that has been in everything my entire life and i just never really paid attention to where it was coming from so it's it's interesting this is like i think the biggest cultural culturally relevant album that we have done and it's a little intimidating. Uh, if I yeah. have a bad take, let me live. I'm my baby. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. It's almost like this. Like it's almost scary to talk about an album like right? this because <laughs> it is so just already ingrained in everything. And like, it's like what he, else is there to say? Yeah, yeah. Everyone has already had every take imaginable about this album. True, true. You know, um, it, it long predates us. Yeah. You know. Yep. This this is one of the most like there's so much 
like people have done so much research it's such a well documented album and what's like, wild is like i'm thinking about the dates on this you know like my mom was born in like 1964 and my dad was born in like 1962 yeah. so they were like nine mm-hmm. and oh god math seven they were nine and seven yeah. when this album came out um it's interesting too because um my mom bought us this album thanks mom i know you're oh, yeah. listening love you um <laughs> but it's weird because like even to my parents who like i consider like you know they grew up in the 70s but it's like even to, it's was so found foundational right you know like my grandma had this record yeah like <laughs> yeah i imagine this is one of those uh one of those records that like everyone had in their home at the time right. but, this and rumors i feel like are the yeah. two biggies that you must have at some point if you own a turntable <laughs> well you know you know what the um like it was it was a meme you know what the like the highest selling record like the highest selling vinyl forever was like there's even a joke about it in that 70s show do you, do you know what it was no it was frampton comes alive oh my god i do remember that joke yep. now peter frampton yeah wow is he Let still alive uh, you never hear about Peter Frampton for how big and massive and like significant well, I mean, that. If he's still alive, he would be in like his 80s. That's true. So I can't is imagine it, he's like doing much if he's still alive. Was it kind of like that time that like Apple put that U2 album on everyone's cell phone? It's like, you know, you just, you didn't, or like in Good Omens, if you leave a cassette tape in your car, it becomes like a Queen album. Right. Like, do you think it's like that? Do you think people actually bought that Frampton album? Or oh, I do think, you think so. it just showed up. Yeah, I don't. I think so. I think it was. You know, I think it was one of those things where um, it was just so massive and it spread. And it's also like back then, you know, if you heard, if everyone told you that like this album was amazing, the only way you could find out like you had to go out and buy it. That's true. You I know? didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's absolutely right. Wild. Um, but yeah, this album was a commercial and critical success. Uh, it is Led Zeppelin's best-selling album, shipping over 37 million copies worldwide. Wow, that is insane. It is one of the best-selling albums in the U.S., while critics have regularly uh, placed it higher on lists of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, in 2010, Led Zeppelin IV was one of the 10 classic album covers. Yeah, I don't care about it. <laughs> it, was, it was used for a postage stamp in, in the U.K. Oh. It's like... Like, I, like that's such a random, because, like, I imagine this album has a bunch of, like, little commemorative things like that Definitely. to it. That's such a random one to put, like, in, uh, in, in the, in the, like, for, in the first paragraph here on Wikipedia. Right. Um, question? Was, yeah, go Where ahead. is Led Zeppelin from? Because I always believe they were American, and I'm starting to doubt that no. uh, as we're going through this. No, they're English. Okay, they they are British. Awesome. Yeah, they um, are original. Yeah, they're from London. Gotcha. Yeah, it, I don't know it, why I said awesome. Like you, I'm not like anglophobic <laughs> and making hateful comments against the British constantly. You think they're an American band because, uh, like a lot of British bands from this era, they were just kind of aping a lot of American Southern blues music. Because even like later era Beatles kind of evokes yeah. a lot of that style of guitar, and particularly right. on this album, it really shines. Yeah, I, I don't that's, know. I thought they were from like Arkansas or something. Yeah, and and that's like yeah, because I think that's part of their like massive success is that they're a British band, so they already have, you know. Uh, that fan base, right? Go, and and then, they kind of like Beatles mania is still right. And then once it reaches over to the U.S., they sound like an American band, right? Right. So you know, 
It was kind of like the perfect storm. Like they like on certain tracks, they almost have like a southern garage rock, right? Like kind of a set to them, and it is it is because of how ingrained in like blues and definitely blues rock and stuff. Like the last song on this album, when the levee breaks, is a cover of a blues song from like 1928. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. um but I think it's also just because, like, so many of these riffs are so baked into, like, quintessential American advertising, you know, like, definitely Coca-Cola commercials, like, Chevy commercials, Jeep commercials, primarily truck commercials, if we're being real honest. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, uh, it's just, I guess because I, you know, grew up in a post-1971 uh, world, and so it's it's just wild how much of this, like, brought up memories of my childhood, yeah. you know? So I was trying to find this thing in the page um, because despite this album selling so many copies, I think this is such an interesting uh, view of how much like album sales have shifted. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see here. It entered the UK chart at number 10, rising to number one uh, the following week, and has spent a total of 90 weeks on the chart. In the US, it was Led Zeppelin's best-selling album, but did not top the Billboard album chart. Really? Yep. It peaked at number two behind There's a Riot Going On by Sly and the Family Stone and Music by Carole King. Oh, my God. <laughs> they got beat by Carole King. Yeah. Wild. It, the, and it's so interesting to me that, like, that like uh, I don't know. People, people just used to buy so much more music that an album that has sold as many copies as Led Zeppelin 4 wasn't even a number one album. That is wild. Yeah. But uh, I think that's all of the preamble yeah. that we have here. We'll we'll talk about some of this other stuff. I don't. I want to avoid just sitting here and reading the Wikipedia article right, for this album because like there is so much history. We could probably do this for another forty minutes. Yeah. But I, I want to get into some tracks, especially yeah. the t- the uh t- not title track, but the opener, Black Dog, apparently allegedly titled for a black Labrador retriever that wandered yeah. into the studio. Let's get it. This is you know you, you know it. You love it. This yep. is Black Dog, man. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move Gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove
I, I just wanted to make sure I got that chorus in there. Um, Iconic. Yeah, no, this is like, it's it, it's one of those things where, uh, you you, like I don't know, maybe maybe it's an internet thing, but like, you you want to have like a, a hot take about this like classic song, but like no, this right? this song rips. This is a good song. It's so groovy. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Honey drip is low key gross. What is it? Honey drip that gave me the ick. <laughs> oh, I wasn't listening to lyrics. Oh, you're fine. Um, he said a big-legged woman ain't got no soul. <laughs> um, as a big-legged sometimes woman. Yeah, okay, he's got us there. Right, yeah. You know, I hate these directionist stereotypes, but yeah. the box fits. No soul to be had. I have in my notes that uh, this is the type of shit that would open the pit in 1971. Right? <laughs> oh fucking my God. grandma and their crowd kill into Led Zeppelin. Right? That's uh, like, yeah, this is so edgy yeah. for so many people. Yeah, you drop that tuning down, you got a heavy-ass riff right there. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, no, this, this was like, this was... Uh, I'm I'm not gonna say this was the heaviest thing anyone could imagine at the time because like Black Sabbath already existed. Yeah. But um no this this was this was melting people's yeah, faces. This was this was devil music. Yeah. Um, this does uh one a a trope that I feel like started in this era of music that I mentioned on I think it was the last episode that I hate is that uh, this song has that fade out. Yeah, there's a nice jam going at the end of the song, and then it just fades out. Right. And I'm always like, just give me the rest of the song. Right. You know, I I want to hear, I want to hear the jam. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can you can fade it out for the radio version mm-hmm. on the album. I have no problem with that. No. But uh, if I you, want all eight minutes of it though, I want to hear what the rest of what like Jimmy Page and uh, Robert Plant wrote. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's, that's my only note. I wish the songs were a little longer. Like, I know yeah. Prog Rock hadn't I mean, to be yet, fa- but, like, I-, I could listen to this for 20 hours. Yeah. You know? Like. <laughs> I mean, there are two. Uh, one song is eight minutes long and one song is seven minutes long. Right. Which is definitely pushing it for this era in particular. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely where, like, I mean, going into more modern bands like Coheed and Cambria. Right. Like, the older Claudio Sanchez gets, the more he sounds like Robert Plant on well, this album. Well, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the limitations of like vinyl yeah at, at the time like you could only you could only write music that is going to fit on the record exactly because that's the only way people can listen to it that's what i so, think I like about music from the 70s is you had it forced yeah. you to be mm-hmm. concise and like inventive and creative within right. a parameter that's why that's why like when uh cds first came out that's why albums got so long for a minute there right like and then like cds first came out and you had this run of like every album had to be like an hour and 10 minutes long right. or some shit like that like there was this like r- like because you could you you, you got to use the whole thing right you know whereas like back in the back in the 70s back in the 80s like every album was 30 to 40 minutes right you know um concise respectful then, of our time and then when streaming came along you know, it really blew up, and now you have people releasing like Lil Uzi Vert just released an album that has twenty six tracks on it, and one and one of those tracks features Baby Metal, and it's yeah, it's that's kind of great. That song is pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'll give them. That. I was I was really shocked because we were watching through um what was it Brad Tasty yeah. Music's review of it for the for the lulls, you know, yeah. and then we were both we both looked at each other and went, wait, this doesn't suck because yeah. it's just a Baby Metal track, right? And um. But yeah, and but it's it's funny because it always, it always comes back. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Like, I think definitely. people, people have kind of like, engine like people have figured out that thirty to forty minutes is like the optimal time for an album, anyway. It is. You know, it's like because every time the trend of long albums springs up, it'll go. It'll be like that for a while, where every popular album is long as shit. But then after like a year or two, there's always a backlash, or there's always. You know, someone who puts out a critically acclaimed album that's only like eight tracks long, right? And and then everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Like we need to return to short albums again, right? Right? You know, I don't know. It's uh, not related to Led Zeppelin at all. I just like uh, I'm very interested in well, no, like trends in music production yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the cultural context. Like, yeah, and I think it's important, especially when we're doing you know older albums, to kind of compare and contrast to what the music industry is like today versus how it was then you know right um but yeah let's move on let's let's get into some rock and roll rock and roll anyway you need a truck that's built like your lifestyle you need a truck that's built Ford Tough. At Ford Toyota Thon, you can purchase a Ford and Toyota for your entire soul. Like, there's a reason I didn't get into marketing. Get, right? get the bundle deal for the to- Ford and Toyota. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. I mean, you get the idea. You've heard this song yep. before. This is like so. I think this might because this is so distinctly like. Right. This song this is, is full a song of that's piss. like. This is a truck song, but this is also like. I think I remember hearing this on like an army recruitment yeah. video awesome. from or like advertisement right. from like two thousand and two. Like other other than um, other than obvious like obviously Stairway to Heaven. I think this is the song that has like the most cultural impact. Yes, and it's also like. It's a funny song to me because, like, maybe it's because of all the context of, like, the bits. Like, you have the truck commercial, and then you have, like, you know, been a long time since I've seen my wife. Well, and it's also funny because Robert Plant is typically an excellent writer, has some of the best lyricism, and, like, often, like, says he was inspired by Tolkien. On this fucking song, he rhymes love with love. Robert! Be- Robert! Be- been a long time since I paid child support. <laughs> I love how, like, you always start off doing, like, a Robert Plant impersonation, and then by the end of it, it becomes Rocco the Clown. Well, or Dr. I'm, Roxo the Clown from Metalocalypse. I'm, tr- I'm trying to make it sound like he's about to cry. Right? <laughs> but, oh, but, yeah, my no, God. like, about the actual song, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, like, genuinely... I love the sound of the drums on this song. Me too. The cymbals oh are really, really splashy, and the snare is like super crisp. There's this uh, piano. Hold on. Honestly, I'm a skip. I'm the a... drums on this whole album are just. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, 
Yeah, I love the addition of the piano. Definitely. At, at the end there. And then also, this is how you fucking end a song. Yeah, you just get in yeah. some little doodly doos, little yeah, drummer, was, punctuate was that, it. Was that so hard? You know, was that was that so hard to end a song like that? But like, no, I love the piano that comes in on that third verse, which I actually found out from reading the Wikipedia article that the piano was provided by. I'm trying to get his actual name because his article is so long. Um, where is he? Where is he? Where 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 is he actually? Oh, it doesn't. Ian Stewart, the, a guy named Ian Stewart, did the piano on this song, and he is uh, a founding member of the Rolling Stones. Oh wow! Yeah, although he was kicked out of the band in like 1968. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so he was like an OG Stone. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was, and he was only kicked out of the band because like their manager said that he didn't fit the the look that that. Oh my god. That Ew. they were going for. Ew. Yeah. He, guys, Ian Stewart, you are beautiful the way you are, and fuck that guy. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but a lot of these classic rock bands were boy bands. They really were. <laughs> in in the classic sense of the word, in that they were like very heavily studio controlled and shit like that. Like well, they yeah, were boy I mean, bands. all music at this era was. Mm-hmm. Like, if people, like, I think that's what's weird when people think that's still how it is today, but like yeah. how women were treated in the music industry is very much how, like, the current idol in- industry, especially for female and girl idols, uh, like, it's the, like, hyper control of their sexuality and insistence on being virginal. Like, I mean, Disney still kind of does that. Yeah. You remember the purity ring thing? It's right? wild. Time is a flat circle. Nothing is new. Yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, bits aside, like I do think that rock and roll is actually like a good song, and definitely, you know, uh, I generally not the best lyricism, but it doesn't I mean, need it's to be. Fi- it's fine. It's you a, don't need it's... to be poetic all the time. Yeah, no. This is this is just a this is just a, a rock and. I mean, the song's called Rock and Roll. Right. You know, it's like he wasn't he wasn't trying that hard on this one. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that piano that piano on that third verse goes goes hard as shit. Yep. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, I think that's it for rock and roll. We can move on to, uh, some nerd shit. The Battle of Evermore.
So, it's a high nerd shit. I so love it. The story of Led Zeppelin 4 is really the story of how Jimmy Page and Robert Plant are two of the biggest fucking nerds to ever live. Not just nerds. <laughs> not just nerds, mind you. Tolkien nerds. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... Even like once we get once we start talking about the artwork, I can't wait to explain these fucking symbols to you. It's so funny. Oh, I'm so excited. But um, yeah, no, this is uh by far, in my opinion, we'll 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 get to we'll get to Misty Mountain Hop, but this is m- the much better of the two, uh, Lord of the Rings style songs. Um, but my feral little goblin heart likes the weird <laughs> melody of Misty Mountain yeah. Hop. But yeah, like I didn't realize how much this was a direct one for one. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember where the Battle of Evermore took place, but I think it's also because one of my hyperfixations lately has been this like fantasy role playing LARP park out in Utah called Evermore Park. And oh. I remembered there was a lawsuit about the name Evermore. And I, I couldn't remember exactly what it was. And it's actually much funnier than I thought it was. Um, Led Zeppelin's a little bit involved. They actually didn't get formally legally involved. But uh, Evermore Park sued Taylor Swift of over the use of uh, the word Oh, yeah, no, Evermore. I remember this. I remember this. Uh-huh. And part of um, Taylor's legal team arguing was, like, because she did kind of name the album Evermore because she was inspired by Led Zeppelin number four. Had nothing to do with the park, had nothing to do with anything, and especially because now we know, like, the Battle of Evermore is a Tolkien thing. Yeah. So then Christopher Tolkien got involved. Oh, no. threatened a lawsuit. You don't want Chris Tolkien involved. No, that man's a maniac. Is he? I I don't know shit about him. Um... We can get into that on another episode, but yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> what other episode are we going to talk this much about Lord of the Rings, honestly? Oh, baby, I can turn anything into talk about <laughs> Lord of the Rings. You don't even know. You don't even know my power. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, um, oh, yeah, another important thing about the song, getting back to the song. This song features Sandy Denny from the British yes. folk band Fairport Convention on vocals. She is the only other guest musician on this album. Yep. That, other than the guy playing piano on rock and roll. That's kind of incredible. Yeah. Like, they got they pulled in some of the coolest, like, two of the coolest guests. Yeah, I think the Wikipedia article even mentions that, like, up to this point, Led Zeppelin, like, just did not work with guests at right. all. Like so, pulling her in for this song and pulling the guy from uh, from Rolling Stones in to do rock and roll yeah, was like kind of a big deal. Definitely. Uh, also, Jimmy Page absolutely killing it on the mandolin on this yeah. track. Like, holy shit! My only gripe with this track is it could use some per, uh, percussion. Yeah, no, that's Not, um, that was my complaint too. Is like the, the drums are mixed a little too low. Well, there is no drums. Oh, there's well, yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> they're mixed the lowest they can be because they're not there. But, at, least, at least give them a cowbell or something. I mean, so, just something. It doesn't have to be like a full rock kit or anything like that. No, but, but like, like so, a nice drum circle. Yeah, yeah. Just just to hit, hit, hit something with a mallet, you know? Yeah. Because the song is almost six minutes long. Yeah. Like, you know, so it, it needs a little bit. It needs something to like drive it a little right? bit. Right? Or like, you know, the other day we were at our friend Bex's house and they play like a lot of percussion instruments. Right. They had like eight or nine different percussion thingies that yeah. 
yeah. have added so much to this song. Like, not even a traditional drum. So, like, look, kit. man, me- medieval medieval songs had drums in them. Like, they, they, did. they did have drums back then, I they promise. Did. Not in the way the Witcher TV show thinks they did, no. but they did. But yeah, yeah. Um, are we are we moving on let's, to the song? Let's do it. We're gonna let's do go. the song. Uh, this is Freebird. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, this is Stairway to Heaven. All right, everyone. Yeah, everyone knows this part. I'm going to skip ahead because I feel like this song is eight minutes long, and I feel like a lot of people don't know uh, how hard the second half of this song goes. Yeah. So I'm just gonna skip ahead to the guitar solo, and let it play out from there for a little bit. I just wanted to get part of that part in there. So a good. Bit. Yeah, that, that that part rips. Another song that is like baked into my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I mean this is this is like everyone, everyone knows this song. Yep, Dolly yeah. Parton does. Actually, she's got it's on two two of her different cover albums, I believe, because I yeah. believe she covered it in like the early '90s, and then again on her most recent one. This is like the first song anyone ever learns on guitar is like this or um, uh, uh. uh 
smoke on the water. Right. Or you know? Yeah, or Sweet Child of Mine, because, like, you're kind of doing exercises by playing the main right. most recognizable riff. Right. So it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Because it's, it's not the most complicated, but, like, it gives you a good idea of how to... I don't know where this sentence is going. Yeah. I only ever took two guitar lessons. Right. <laughs> but yeah, my you, you know what my hot take about this song is? What is your hot take? The part where Robert Plant goes, Ooh, it makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's goofy as hell. It is. It, 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 I don't know why. It's all, it always struck me as very goofy. It always struck me as like he didn't really know what to put at that point in the yeah. song. So he just kind of like... Oh, he just said, uh, it makes me wonder. <laughs> like, I So I, I think you're right about that. I think a lot of, like, because the thing about Robert Plant on this album is a lot of it is lyrical singing, but a lot of it is just him making funny noises with his mouth. Well, yeah, because he, <laughs> like, the way Led Zeppelin writes songs, it's like everything, all of the hooks, you know, all of the, like, recognizable parts are in the verses. Right. Like, they don't really do big choruses. They don't. You know, Robert Plant doesn't really write a hook. He he writes out these, like, really detailed verses that have, like, these beautiful melodies and then just kind of, like, does an ooh yeah, you know, yeah. Over, over a guitar riff and then gets back into the verses. Right. You right. know? Which is, to be fair, that's also how, like, blues songs are written. Right. Because the song's more about, like, the story being told than it is you know, making a catchy song. Yeah, I know we've already said it multiple times on this podcast, but I think that's why I was so convinced they must be an American rock and roll band. Mm -hmm. Because so much of this is just blues and rock and roll. And a little bit of bluegrass here and there. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I think this is, I don't want to be wrong. Is this the one about, this is the one about his son dying, right? Uh oh god. I know there's like uh, Lord of the Rings references in this song as yeah, well. Yeah, because um the whole like all that is gold or a woman who thinks that all is gold glitters. Um, it's actually like almost a direct Tolkien quote from like all that is glitters does not is not gold. Right. Um, according to Genius, I realize um, I could have been looking at this on. This it tells speech. the story of a greedy woman who is overly optimistic about her unpromising future. The song resonated with young listeners, opening up a door to a different realm of spirituality and transporting them into a more mystical view of life. The vagueness yeah. of the lyrics also allows listeners to interpret the song in their own way, adding their own magic and mystery. Yeah, this is one hundred percent not the song he wrote no, about this is his not the song. song he wrote about his son. Um, I think oh, that's no. on the album The Immigrant Song is on okay okay I please think. please don't write us letters about that i'm sorry i don't no actually like, i'm not a know, led zeppelin historian us- despite them being like my dad's favorite band next to rush yeah so john if you're listening um let us know what song we're thinking of because i don't think it's on this album i think it's on yeah. the other to be album. fair uh i'm because of my dad the led zeppelin thing i'm most familiar with is um the concert film slash live album the song remains the same that was his like that's his favorite album uh i remember i bought the like deluxe edition cd for him at some point for christmas when i was like 15 or 16 Aww. something like that we should try to find that on um, blu-ray for him i mean oh it exists there's been that's mm-hmm. that thing's been reissued so many times like if he doesn't already have it yeah but uh uh yeah i don't know that was just i would love to watch that with your dad i'm gonna bring that up next time i see yeah. him <laughs> any anything about led zeppelin uh that doesn't relate to the song remains the same i don't really know that much about that's fair um because i never got into led zeppelin that much uh i was more of a black sabbath 
yeah, kid. That, that tracks. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely like Black Sabbath. I listen to, like, as far as classic rock goes, mm-hmm. what I listen to primarily is Russian Black Sabbath. Uh, you know, if, yeah. if, I, if, I, if I had to pick my classic rock bands, that's who I'm going with. But anyway... Uh, oh, it's vinyl time. Yeah. yeah this we is are a, halfway through the album. Yeah, it's eight-track eight album. album. So the vinyl I have here is uh, just the standard reissue. This was bought from Amazon by uh, uh, Amanda's lovely mother. It has... One of our most loyal listeners. Yeah. Hi, Mom. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is like one of the most recognizable album covers the man with the of sticks. all time. Um I actually love this album cover. Me I always too. have. I, I I think it's by far the best uh, Led Zeppelin album cover. Also, I feel like if I, you know, this is one of those ridiculous scenarios. If I had to choose a Led Zeppelin cover to get tattooed, I would love to get like the picture frame because like the right. way the window's carved out, it looks like an ornate or it is an ornate picture frame. It is. So the story behind this is uh, it's a 19th century rustic oil painting on the front of the album. It was purchased at an antique shop in uh, Reading Berkshire by Robert Plant. The painting was then juxtaposed and affixed to an uh, internal papered wall uh, of a partly demolished suburban house for the photograph to be taken. The blocks of flats seen on the back of the album is the Salisbury Tower in Ladywood, uh, Ladywood District of Birmingham. Page explained that the cover of the fourth album was intended to bring out a city-slash-country dichotomy uh, that had initially surfaced on Led Zeppelin Three, and a reminder that people should look after the Earth. So, uh, basically... This is an actual, this is just a photograph of, of, a, a, painting. of a painting hanging on a wall. And um, uh, basically what happened was Led Zeppelin 3 was kind of a flop. Mm-hmm. Like, people didn't like it that much. So when they decided to make Led Zeppelin 4, they removed anything that identifies it as a Led Zeppelin album. Gotcha. There's no... There's no yeah. album title. There's no Led Zeppelin logo on the front. It's just a picture of a man. And then the back, there's no tracks. There's right. no credits. Uh, the version we have has this little, like... The holographic. Like, yeah, like ma- Major League Baseball-esque, like, like sticker proving it's an authentic Led Zeppelin album, I guess. But And this one, I believe, is a 180 gram. Yes, it is. Yeah, so it's nice uh, and heavy. It sounded yeah. great. The whole point is that, like, it's not, you know, you're not supposed to immediately identify it as a Led Zeppelin it's, album. It's, as the kids say, unclockable. Yeah, except the version we have has a fucking sticker <laughs> right on the cover that it's, it's, it's what's, this is what's known as a hype sticker. Gotcha. Um... It's usually on the plastic that surrounds the album, but you know it says the name of the album includes "Stairway to Heaven," "Black Dog," and "Rock and Roll," remastered and produced by Jimmy Page. It's like, you know, it it tells you like what the album is. Here, here are the hit songs that are from this album. Right. A, a lot of times, if it's a lesser known band, it'll have like you know four fans of you know fucking Black Sabbath. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've definitely bought CDs with those kind of stickers. On I've them. Like, I've bought CDs because of those kind of stickers no, before. Um, that's how I got into <laughs> Flyleaf. Yeah. It had a sticker on it that said for fans of like Evan Essence right. and him. And I think that's also when I started getting into him. I downloaded a bunch of their stuff off LimeWire that night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I want to say I bought like a like an Il Nino CD or some shit because it mentioned Slipknot on it. But anyway. <laughs> uh, and then when you open the cover you have 
the iconic painting. It's, I like. I feel like this is usually associated with um, Stairway to Heaven mm-hmm. because it's the it, like it's the cla- it's the Led Zeppelin T-shirt that everyone buys at Walmart, right? You know, right. and it has like the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven on it. Um, but this this inside illustration entitled "The Hermit" it's based on the tarot card. Yeah, for the hermit. Um, uh, the character was later portrayed by Robert Page himself in the Led Zeppelin concert film. The song remains the same. Uh, the inner painting is also referred to as view in half or varying light. And then the typeface, uh, hold on. There's a printed insert in here somewhere. Okay. That just has the lyrics for the song remains the same. Or not the song remains the same. Oh, my God. Stairway to Heaven. It just has the lyrics for Stairway to Heaven. Uh, and the typeface, it's like a nice... It's not quite an old English typeface. It's evocative it's, of old It's English. very, like, fantasy typeface, I would it's, say. You know what that is? That is the no admittance except on party business right. font with less dots in it. He said... Uh, it says here that the printed inside sleeve of the album, the typeface was uh, Pages. Uh, contribution nice. um jimmy page's contribution he found it in an old arts and crafts magazine called the studio which dated from the late 19th century he thought he thought the lettering was interesting and arranged for someone to create a whole alphabet that's so cool yeah, yeah so that's nice you know yeah. and then on the inside or over here you have these four symbols uh, again continuing with the like separating from led zeppelin the the names of the band members are not listed in this album wow. it just has these four symbols that were uh picked out by each member of the band again reading i'm I'm just like at the, for this part of the episode i am just reading the Wikipedia but it's because i'm like what what is zoso and right did jimmy page pick that so no one knows oh. yes uh page just the, this whole thing was jimmy page's idea um uh, Jimmy Page designed his own symbol and has never publicly disclose, disclosed any reasoning behind it. It has been argued that the symbol appeared as early as 1557 to represent Saturn. Oh. The symbol is sometimes referred to as Zoso, though Page has explained that it was not in fact intended to be a word at all. Oh. It's just a symbol. Uh, let's see. D- uh, Jones's symbol... Uh, Jones's symbol, which he chose from Rudolf Koch's Book of Signs, is a circle, uh, is a single circle intersecting three uh, Vesica Pisces, a triquetra. Mm-hmm. It is intended to symbolize a person who possesses both competence and confidence. It's which, a Celtic knot, folks. Yes, I don't which know what I, to tell you. <laughs> which I can't help but point out is uh, only two things. Mm-hmm. And there's three. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Bonham, John Bonham's symbol, the three interlocking uh, Boromine rings. Mm-hmm. It was picked by the drummer from the same book. It represents the triad of mother, father, and child, uh, but also happens to be the logo of the gun producer, Krupp. Or Krupp. Uh, and to turn upside down. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and Robert Plant's symbol of a feather within a circle was his own design being based on the sign of the supposed Mew civilization. So the what? <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting. Mu M U is a mythical lost continent introduced by Augustus Laplangian, 
1825 to 1908, who identified the land of Mew with Atlantis. The name was subsequently identified with hypothetical land Lemuria by James Churchwood, who uh, asserted that it was located in the Pacific Ocean before it was collapsed. And it's some fantasy ass nerd shit. Oh my god, what's wild is um so, the, the Newkirks actually just put out a podcast, an episode of the Haunted Objects podcast about hmm? the civilization of Moo. So I love this because this is literally like Jimmy Page and Robert Plant like created these like really nerdy kind of like esoteric <laughs> symbols and then and then John Jones and John Bonham both just kind of Picked uh, pick theirs out of a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I say, like, this is the album. This album is the story of Jimmy Page and and uh, Robert Plant being the biggest fucking nerds alive. Right. And, like, <laughs> every party has to have, like, the two, like, every D&D party has two people that take it way too seriously, two mm-hmm. people that don't take it seriously at all, and an exhausted DM that hasn't slept in, like, 16 years. And I love that um, uh, they, they let Sandy Denny. Yeah. Uh, create her own symbol too. Yes. The, um, because because she has her little symbol next to her name. In I the, love that. In the I love album that art. so much. Did she draw hers? Uh, let me look. During the uh, a fifth smaller symbol. Cho- it was chosen by her. I'm guessing it was chosen from the same book. Honestly. Gotcha. Yeah, because it does kind of match. Um, yeah. Jones and like bottom. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm guessing. I'm guessing they just showed her the book and was like, here, pick, pick a pick a symbol yeah. out of here. <laughs> I love that. And then the record itself, you know, there's not much to say about it. It's 180 gram black vinyl. Yep. You know, it sounds good. Yep. You know, it's a remaster, repress, all of that good stuff. Yeah, it sounds as good as it can humanly sound, I would say. Get some, get some ASMR of me trying to wrestle this shit back into the sleeve. There we go. <laughs> I think every paper cut I've gotten lately has been trying to wrestle a record and yeah. out of a sleeve. But yeah, that's that's uh, the vinyl. That's probably the longest we've talked about the meaning behind anything on it. on album artwork because because it is so well documented. Right. It'd be funny if we pull like a Coheed album after this and end up spending another hour talking oh about like symbolism and weird shit in the insert. But anyway, anyway, let's let's get into one of my favorite uh. songs that nobody else feels the same way that I do about Misty Mountain Hop. Everyone's favorite Led Zeppelin song. Explain yourself. This is Goblin Core. Okay. 
so because, there's... because I think this song fucking sucks. Okay, but like... <laughs> well, okay, so like over our desk right now as we're uh, recording this in the POFIS, you will see there are three Furbies. All of which yeah. have some form of customization. They creep most people out. My brain is broken, Jason. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make this Oompa Loompa ass song any less obnoxious. Oh man, it's, just, it's like classic rock, Baby Shark. To I me, I really want. You know? Hold on, hold on. I want to do. Uh, let's see. There's this one really funny part in the song that okay. I clipped the. Here. Okay, let me fade this back up. This part coming up. I want to make like one of those uh, like ten-hour YouTube edits where it's just the really don't care, really don't care, don't care, okay. really don't so care, really night, don't, and just keep repeating album, it over right? and over so again. Like ten hours straight. Um, like I said, it's like Baby Shark. So the other night I was saying this song was about hobbits, and I think I was kind of on to something. So I think this is about Bilbo being drunk in public while like hobbit hippies are trying to like invite him to have sex, perhaps. Nice. Nice. You know, the spirits that Paige speaks of at the end could refer to the great eagles who resided in the mountains, the evil spirits of Karn Dun, Fortress of the Witch King, or perhaps Durin's Bane, the Balrog, which resides in Moria. There's so much shit in this song. Yeah. And, and everyone hates it. So I feel like well, I have to love it. Like, I love because, Furbies because no one else <laughs> loves them like I do. <laughs> because all of that shit is communicated through the same obnoxious <laughs> repeating melody over and over and over again for almost five minutes look look i've said it, it before and i will going. say it again just because i like it doesn't mean it's good <laughs> i like some true garbage oh man okay like i mean uh, shit for all i know because like uh robert plant still does this song like live at oh his at his solo shows for all i know i'm the one with the hot take here and right? like and like everyone listening to this is agreeing with you they're like how the fuck doesn't he like misty it's, mountain hop it's just so it's fucking the best goofy. led zeppelin song it's like an old town road for me you know like yeah. it's so goofy and silly and funny that it makes my brain make the happy brain chemicals yeah. so you know like i said i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying I like it. <laughs> yeah. And with that, uh, we'll move on to the next track for Sticks. Which I think a lot of people don't know or like wouldn't know by name, but if they hear it, they go, oh yeah, it's that song. Right, right. Yeah. Of course, of course.
put it there because boy does this song not do anything other than this okay so the point of this song is actually to showcase john bonham's drumming the song is called four sticks because yeah. during recording he used two sets of sticks one in each hand to get the desired effect on the take that was used it's, also it's got a weird time signature change well it's funny because uh the drums is like one of the reasons I don't like this song. Really? Like, okay, so I I think this song is like kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like you need a pickup after Misty Mountain to Hop, and this is not it. Yeah, uh, I think this could be switched by fixed by switching the song order up a little bit. Like, like you know, you do going to California as track six, and then yeah. this could be track seven. I feel like like that riff is just a slog. Yeah. It's a real slog. I know that it's like early synthesizer or something like that, but mm-hmm. like it's just do 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 do. You know, it's like oh yeah. my god. And then the drums are like I, I don't know. I don't actually hate the drums. I just they just don't match the riff at all. And then Robert Plant's singing, like his vocal melody also doesn't match. Like everything feels like it's clashing in this song. A little bit. And, and it makes it feel twice as long as it should be. Part of that is the time signature change. Cause yeah. like I definitely, especially after listening to this song multiple times, um, I clocked it. So like Robert Plant and the guy on guitars are just not not keeping up with the time change. No. At all. Like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I I uh I do not like this song and it's another fade out, just like yep. Misty Mountain Hop. Yep. So far, there have been three fade outs on this album. Oh, we're doing the fade out counter. We're doing the fade out counter. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I think yeah, that's all I have that, to say. That's on it. That I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't particularly like this song. I, yeah. You know. I like, I, I like the jazziness of the drums, like with the weird time signature change, yeah. and I like. That it feels like being in the Moog Museum, because this song was definitely playing while we were in the Moog Museum. Right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, like, interesting conceptually, but it's not a song that's fun to listen to. No, and it's kind of hard, because, like, it and Misty Mountain Hop are surrounded by absolute bangers that are, like, yeah. iconic on a level most music will never be. Well, I think it's also, it's because, like, for me, it's because it follows Misty Mountain Hop. Yeah. Also, like, because, and Misty Mountain Hop is also another song that just kind of does the same thing over yeah, and over and over again uh, and then it's like oh my god it's another one of these yeah, and it's, it could have been broken up a uh, bit. yeah anyway mm-hmm. let's go to going we're going we're going out california california Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink All my wine Made up my mind Make a new start Going to California with an aching In my heart Someone told me there's a girl out there with love in her eyes and flowers in her hair
took my chances on a big jet plane Never let them tell you that we're all, all the same Oh, the sea was red and the sky was gray That's enough of that. An iconic song. Uh, how many like coming of age movies do you reckon this song's been in? I do not know. Um, Approximately all of them. That's what I'm saying. I'm I've definitely be honest, heard it in at least three that I can think of. I'm going to be honest. I also don't particularly love this one. Yeah? Yeah. And I think it's better than the last two songs. But like like I said, this half of the album, it like needs it, it needs a black dog. It does. You know what I mean? It needs something to kind of pull you back in because, like, right now, like, I, you know, if I'm listening to this album front to back right now, I'm, like, starting to fall asleep a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. You I know? am yawning. Um, but I will say it is interesting. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to phrase this to not sound, like, stupid, but, like, uh, when I heard this, what I heard is uh, a White Stripes song. A little bit. Like, like I think, you know, it's interesting. I don't think uh, Led Zeppelin, like, I don't think White Stripes gets compared to Led Zeppelin enough. I don't think so either. Like, it's kind of like how I feel about, like, My Chemical Romance and Queen. Like, right. there's so many direct links. And it's yeah. so clear that Jack White is so inspired by Robert Plant's lyricism and vocal style. Like, I feel like people are scared to compare things to Led Zeppelin that aren't direct copies of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, well, uh, I prefer the things that aren't. I prefer, like, like Jack like, White just incorporates Right. Like, what's that? What's that? Greta Van Fleet. Like, Greta Van yeah. Fleet is, like, kind of a direct copy of Led Zeppelin. And A little that's, bit. That's what everyone says. But, like... You know, I, f- I feel every time I've, like, listened to White Stripes uh, or, like, Jack White in general or, like, watched a Jack White live show, it's, like, it's such a, maybe not specifically Led Zeppelin, but, like, his voice sounds a lot like Robert Plant at times. Yep. And then, yep. like, he's just such a classic rock, yeah. like, feel to it. I don't know. Uh I don't know where I was going with that, but I just, no, but like, I just had it in my notes that it sounds like White Stripes. Yeah, you know. You know, oh. it's it sounds it sounds like a song that would be on one of the early White Stripes albums and would play during like uh like a Napoleon Dynamite or some shit. So like apparently this song is low key about Joni Mitchell. Oh. American singer songwriter Joni Mitchell who uh. wrote a song I Had a King. Oh yeah. Was it she was married to one of them, right? Uh I think she was married to Robert. I actually. think so too. During live performances, Plant would often familiar. say Joni after the, and I feel like I've heard Joni Mitchell's name come up, but I should have done a little bit better research. Because I'm pretty sure she's in uh, Song Remains the Same. I think she's in the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that scene might have also been filmed at her house. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't remember enough about that movie. Um, but yeah, uh, this is like the shortest song on the album yep uh so we'll move on from it yeah we'll move on to another banger yeah this is the final track Mm -hmm. uh when the levee breaks and i'm gonna skip a lot of the intro because the vocals don't come in for like uh, a little over a minute
right, skipping forward now. skip ahead uh one more time because i have in my notes that there's a sick harmonica solo yes, on this song is. but i forgot to i forgot to put down the the time stamp for that so i'm gonna skip ahead and just hope i nail it There's yeah. a sick harmonica solo. Sick harmonica solo in that song somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think bands got to start doing covers of blues songs from the 20s again. Definitely. You know, you know like, I, like I, I have it in my notes that this is kind of the, um, the, this is the rock version of like hip hop producers crate digging for samples. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you like... We've had enough, enough of doing covers of classic songs that everyone already knows. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking at you, Fall Out Boy. I'm looking at you, uh, Lil Uzi Vert. You know, I'm looking at you, Falling in Reverse. That's not a classic song, but still, I want to hear covers of songs I've never heard before. Me too. You know, go reach back. There are so many, so much, there's so much music that came out between like the 20s and the 70s you know Mm -hmm. what i mean that's such a that's 50 years worth of music that like no one no one has like ever heard of before like no one living right now like no one no one our age has ever heard of before and i feel like that's such a that's such a rich well of of music that's not being tapped yeah it's kind of sad because it's like these artists deserve to shine and i'm glad right Um, this song is originally by um the couple kansas joe mccoy and his wife memphis minnie yeah and um it was written about the great mississippi flood of 1927 which is the most destructive river flooding in united states history a lot of like a crazy amount of people died yeah like the official government count is nowhere near the actual total of course because that part of mississippi hadn't had a good census and ever yeah um 
ever. Ever. Yeah, and it was like this hugely tragic event, and so it's kind of cool that it's like immortalized and remembered right via this Led Zeppelin album. Yeah. It's also been sampled on a lot of things, including Beastie Boys, Ryman and Stealing. Yep. Most infamously in the one that I immediately clocked it as Eminem's Kim. Oh yeah. And it was also used for the end credits of the twenty fifteen film The Big Short. Oh yeah. That's we were good. talking about that movie the other day. That is we? a that is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, I think I don't know. I think it's just it's just cool. To like reach back Definitely. that that far to do a song because it's like I swear to God if I have to hear one more person covering Bohemian Rhapsody, right. like I'm just gonna burn Atlanta Records to the right. ground. Like I wish, um, like, like I love this one YouTuber Kazro. Um, she specializes in like queer history, especially around right. like the turn of the centuries, so, like 1910s to 1930s. I would love if she just started doing like hyper pop covers of songs from like 1910. Right. That'd like, be so fucking sick. 1910. But I mean, just think about like. You know, think about it. If a band did a song like "When the Levee Breaks," now, yeah, you know, and then the, it it also becomes like there's like this added layer of like almost viral marketing you could do around that because yeah. it becomes this like fun fact thing where yeah. people are like looking into this old like blues song and stuff. Like I don't know. I feel, there's just more of that, please. There's so much opportunity there, and I feel like people just aren't aren't capitalizing yeah on it. so if you're listening and you make music do us yeah. up a cover from the 20s look if you look if you're listening and make music go go to a record store pull out the the boxes that are under the shelves yep start digging through and just just grab any one dollar record mm-hmm. and just listen to it you know just just listen to it and see, even if you've never heard of it, like, especially if you've never heard of it, mm-hmm. you know, listen to it and like, you might find a gem there and then that might inspire you to, even if you don't cover that song, like, like re- reaching back, reaching back and finding things that, uh, are kind of lost to time. Yeah. You know, things can, that shouldn't can have been inspire, lost. It, you know, can inspire you because there's so much, there's so much music out there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my little, little PSA. Yeah. If you make music. Uh, there are negative reviews for this album. Oh boy, I'm sure there are. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, of course there's. I didn't even have to go to to rate your music for this one because it's an album that's so well known. You know what I mean? That like, even if people are just trying to be edgy, like yeah. you, you you can. You but that can, means that means we've got some funny yeah. ones. I'm sure. Yeah, I love uh, Styla here, who's seven months ago. <laughs> I uh, rated this album a zero and said, I'm so glad my grandpa did not love Led Zeppelin. I would kill myself if he did. Oh, my God. <laughs> the drama. Uh, uh, this person two years ago uh, the, gave it a four out of ten, uh, said, man, this was boring. I really don't get what's supposed to be great about this. The singer's voice was constantly giving me Axl Rose flashbacks. Uh, don't know if this is supposed to be a grower, but anyways, I doubt that I see myself returning to this. Do they, do they understand that Axl Rose is much later? Uh, no. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't even get started until, like, the late 70s, right? Yeah. Like, ACDC? No, Axl Rose is Guns N' Roses. Oh, my God. I am brain dead. I'm so <laughs> tired right now. Apologies. And I think ACDC... They... I don't... 
I don't think they predate Led Zeppelin. No, and if, definitely Guns N' Roses for sure does not. I think Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin probably predates ACDC by like a couple of years because they're gotcha. very they're very close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, let's see here. Let's see. I want to enjoy this album. Some songs are absolute bangers, like Black Dog and When the Levee Breaks, but a lot of this just doesn't compare with Led Zeppelin's earlier work. Unsure why this is worshipped in musical circles. I've seen many say this is the best classic rock album of all time. I don't think I've seen anyone say that. No, I don't think I have um, either. At least not this one, like, specifically. No. Like, I feel Definitely like, some of the singles. Yeah, when, when people are doing that, like, with Led Zeppelin, I feel like they usually go for Led Zeppelin 1. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway. That's, I mean, most, most, of the, most of the reviews are kind of just boring like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't get why everyone loves this album so much. To me, I do get it. I think there's only, there's two duds on yeah. this album. And, and there's one, and the, they're back to back. And there's one song that I don't really care that much for. But right. other than that, like, I do think this is a very, very good album. Definitely. Um, which brings us to the end of the show. Well. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, don't forget to follow us on twitter and on instagram at uh mbf records pod don't forget to follow me on twitter at frequency shifts you can find me on twitter and tiktok and instagram at amanda moonchild if you'd like to see my personal instagram with fashion moths art and other weird shit uh you can find me at spicy pisces crises and uh so what album are we doing next oh, okay. week babe forgot to pull up the app oh we are doing the coat of many colors by dolly parton <laughs> Oh my god, it's the first episode of my girlfriend's record collection. Yep. It's the first of my specifically my albums we've pulled. Let's fucking go, boys. Yeah, we're we're going we're going from classic rock to classic country. Hell yeah, I'm so excited. Let's go. See you Let's next go. week. Bye. Bye.